Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Chronicles podcast, where I review manga from the shoujo, romance, all the way to the isekai genre. I am your host, Empress Chronicle. It's already episode three. Very excited to be back and to have all of you wonderful listeners back with me. I won't get tired of saying this, but thank you for tuning into another episode once more, and glory be to God for the opportunity. So let's begin. In this episode, I will be reviewing the first volume of the manga called The Faraway Paladin. This one is very different from the last two reviews that have been romance. I would probably classify this one as fantasy in a coming-of-age story. The manga is currently collected into 11 omnibus volumes, and I believe there is also a light novel series. The story is set around William, who is raised by three undead, Blood, a former swordsman, Gus, a former sage, and Mary, a former human woman dedicated to her faith. These three members of the undead decided to raise William to the best of their ability, teaching him many things ranging from geography to magic to swordsmanship to even housework. If that is not enough, the four of them live in an abandoned, I want to say city slash town, although it's a little too big the way that they describe it in the manga uh, to be a to be a town. So let's say it's a city where there are no other signs of life but William, who is the only human, remember, the other three are in dead, so technically they're not really alive. <laughs> the first half of the first volume spends a lot of it following William from his infancy and how he remembers his like past life to all the way when he comes of age at 15. His memory of his past life, which it's hinted that he was isekai'd, isn't used as some sort of like superpower in this story. It's also not the main focus of his new life in this world. Instead, the reader is informed that William regrets the way he lived his past life and how he wants to honor his quote-unquote current family. He mentions that he was not a good son and instead wasted the opportunity that his parents had given him, even going as far as mourning the fact that he can't remember what he felt when his parents, before he became William, uh, passed away. This is truly shown later on when these undead that have raised him end up being in a lot of danger, and he decides to defend them. Throughout the first couple of chapters, we learn that Blood, Gus, and Mary are preparing him for something, but they refuse to tell him what. This becomes a source of frustration for William, who just wants to stop being let out of the loop, and he does eventually find out once he turns 15. But the things that they are showing him are things that you wouldn't really necessarily teach a 15-year-old who's supposed to live a normal life, right? Uh, they teach him things from like swordsmanship and how to how to properly cast magic, which makes you think, okay, the way that the story is set up in the beginning, like the whole entire thing is empty. The city is empty. Nothing is there. There's nothing actually breathing and living like William, except for William, with the exception of the three undead who are taking care of him and a couple of monsters that are running around like in the underground of the city. And it's interesting because you could you could tell, at least I could when I was reading, that the city was very empty, that there was nothing there. So this even comes into question when Mary one day brings food and William goes, where did you get this from? Where did you obtain this from? And it turns out that she wasn't going somewhere to go get the to go get this this bread that she was feeding William. Because remember, they're undead. They don't really need to eat. But they have to in order to to make sure that William lives. And so there's a lot of these like little small details that you have to pick up. Because again, you're, you're reading this from the point of view of William. 
and he's being let out of a lot of stuff. They're not telling him why they're preparing him like this. Why are they teaching him swordsmanship as if he has to fight something, some army? Or why are they teaching him how to properly cast magic? Obviously, Mary's teaching him life skills, you know, how to cook, clean, uh, pick up herbs and all that. That's, that's basic life skills. So that makes sense. But why are they preparing him is the question that you, you get asked, right? Why are they preparing him in such a manner where it seems like they won't be there forever? And so we're going to touch on that. So Blood often told William, we will tell you everything once you reach of age, once you are 15. And so they eventually do tell him uh, the truth of why they were so harsh on him sometimes and why they trained him so extensively was because once their attachment, again, remember, they're undead. Once their attachment was weakened, was removed from them, they were going to be stagnates, the god of the undead in the story. They were going to be his full-time servants. And so Blood goes on to explain essentially the lore of how they how they became undead and why did they become stagnate servants in the first place. So he informs that before stagnate comes to collect their souls, Blood, Gus, and Mary were actually well-known warriors 200 years ago in the very city that they were living in. Blood recounts how the continent of Southmark was invaded by a demon king. This demon king was unstoppable and had an unsatiable taste for destruction. He was so overpowered. Let me put it to you this way. He was so overpowered. And he, I think they explained to, they, they state that he was sort of like a human, but not really. Case in point is, this character, this demon king was so overpowered that even if you were to cut him, even if you were to cut him from his very blood, he was able to summon powerful minions. So it became a problem of, how do we take care of this guy? Because if you cut him, then he just summons more demons from his blood. Okay, so then the question would be, all right, Empress, but they could just, you know, bleed him dry. Not so fast, because Blood does mention that even though he was able to create hordes of demons from, from, his, uh, from his blood, he eventually ended up obtaining the Demon King, and eventually ended up obtaining this sword that whenever he would cut down somebody, it would heal him and give him more power. <laughs> so essentially, even if they put their best, which they actually did, he was unstoppable. They they were not able to successfully kill the Demon King. So instead, what they had to do, they resorted to sealing him away. Of course, this did not solve their problems of the demons that still roamed the area, right? They sealed the Demon King, but they still had to deal with the high-ranking demons that he had summoned. But they, meaning Blood, Gus, and Mary, didn't have any strength to defeat the rest of the demons that were running amok. It was, in this moment, an echo, which is like an avatar of a god in the story, an echo of Sagnate, the god of the undead, shows up and strikes a deal with them. And so imagine Blood, Gus, and Mary who were very well-known warriors for their time, just exhausted, knowing they couldn't defeat the Demon King, that the only thing they could do was seal him away to stop him from rampaging. And now they had to deal with the stuff of the other demons who were probably not easy to fight to begin with. And then the God of Undead comes up and, and tries to strike them a deal at their weakest. He tells them, I will take care of the demon hordes for you if you become my undead servants and not just like some regular undead servants with no mind of their own no stagnate recognized 
that these three were valuable assets, that they were powerful in their own right. He goes, no, you become my high level undead servants. And of course, them in their time of weakness, all three agreed, which is why when you read the manga, blood becomes a skeleton because he used to be a very powerful warrior who relied on his muscles in order to overpower his enemies. Gus becomes a specter. I think it's mentioned that he became one because he didn't believe in ghosts or, or like the supernatural, <laughs> even though he was a sage. And then Mary became a mummy because she was a woman of faith. A lot of her power was drawn from this holy goddess within the story. And so when she became an undead, she lost that goddess's favor because doing that is essentially turning away from her teachings, the goddess's teachings. And so whenever Mary prays, she burns. So literally she just is consumed in a fire. Of course she's an undead, so she doesn't die. Stagny really knew <laughs> what he was doing. He struck them a deal, but he didn't tell them exactly what would change. If you noticed, he doesn't say, I'm gonna strike you a deal and you'll become my undead servants and stay how you look. He just says, you'll become my high level undead servants. And he ended up taking away the very things that they valued. For example, blood strength. Even though he's still strong as an undead, he no longer has the muscles that he used to. Gus became a specter because he believed fully on his intellect. He believed intelligence, all of that. Even though he was still intelligent as a, as a specter, he no longer has his physical form. <laughs> and then Mary, who was a woman of great faith, lost the favor she had with the goddess who would always protect her. So all in all, Stagnik does get rid of all of the high level demons and the lower level demons ended up becoming undead because that is how he stagnate perceives the world to be at its best is when everyone is undead, never undying. That is Stagnate's worldview of paradise. That is why when he offers William a deal, he asks the same thing of him that he did to Blood, Gus, and Mary. Because to him, the ideal world is everybody is an undead and there is no longer pain or suffering or illness or even death. Now, Remember I mentioned that Stagnate would come after Blood Gus and Mary's attachment was basically destroyed or that it faltered or they slowly were letting go of said attachment. The attachment is not William, by the way. I need to make that clear. The attachment that all three of them have is not William. Their attachment is the Demon King seal. They were worried that somebody would come back particularly demons would come back and try to undo the seal and revive this uh, and revive the the demon king that they had sealed away. That was their attachment. Now, how does William, <laughs> how does William connect to all of this? Now, you may think that, oh, William is some sort of like spawn of the demon king. He's not. He has no attachment to the demon king whatsoever. He's not connected to the demon king. Although it is mentioned that there is something particular about William, but it is not his attachment. There's no attachment. Let me be clear. There's no attachment to the Demon King. The way that William came into all three of their lives was as a human sacrifice. So demons, these low-level demons, showed up with a baby. That baby was William. And William was supposed to be used as a human sacrifice to undo the seal. Of course, Blood, Gus, and Mary ended up finishing off these lower-level demons. And now they were left with the human baby. Because of that, they ended up deciding to raise William, <laughs> which is why William has 
three family members that are undead. Stagnate's appearance coincides with William's 15th birthday. So he shows up a day before and, and she shows up in front of Marion and Blood and is like, it is time. I've come to collect your souls so that way you become my undying servant forever and ever until I, I guess he decides. I'm not exactly sure how that works. <laughs> he just said he's gonna, he's come to collect essentially. And William is shocked by this because then it clicks as to why they were so hard on him. They were hard on him because eventually they were going to leave. They were going away. Blood and Mary were more than willing when Stagnate appears, you know, like, okay, we're good. We've done everything that we can. We now understand that William is going to be an adult and he will be okay. Because again, their attachment to the seal was replaced by their love and their care for William. So instead of their hyperfixation, to put it bluntly, uh, being the seal as an undead, instead it became William. The important thing in their lives was no longer to make sure that the seal was never broken, but that William lived a good life. Gus mentions to William that this was always a worry of his, which is why you'll notice when you read Gus is not particularly fond of William. He doesn't hate William. He has love for William a lot, but he, he understood that blood and, and Mary were getting a little too comfortable being parents to William. And that would cause Stagnate to come sooner than they had hoped. Eventually, like I said, Stagnate shows up in front of them. He's like, it's time to collect. Blood and Mary are okay with being taken, but Gus tries to fight back. And it lands at him and it does affect him in some way. But unfortunately, Stagnate ends up causing major harm to all three of them. And he tells William, after seeing William trying to defend his family, that he goes, I want to make you a deal. Come join me as an undead servant. I will make you a high level undead so that way you retain your emotions and you're not just blindly following and you can be with Blood, Gus, and Mary forever. He gives them until sundown of next day when he turns 15. This event causes William to argue a little bit with his, with his family about why they never said anything in the first place and that they should have said something to him about that they will eventually not always be there or that they're not going to die they just weren't going to be there anymore in this place for William and so he decides once um they healed from their wounds that Sagnate caused that he's going to fight Sagnate so that way they didn't have to go with him it's here where blood mentions a sword that he had given William Remember that weapon I told you guys about that the king, that the demon king had that if he hit someone he uh, he struck somebody down he would heal he had gifted that to William for doing a good job basically passing all of his lessons and so William is like I will use this I will use this to take Stagnate down so he turns fifteen the next day comes he turns fifteen and he meets Stagnate obviously he tells Stagnate that that's not going to happen he's not going to join them so they go into a fight. Stagnate obviously <laughs> plays a little dirty and he summons some underlings to try and take care of William before a one-on-one -on -one fight. William successfully holds his own for a bit and when the one-on-one -on -one fight comes between him and Stagnate he actually at one point did get the upper hand because of the sword because Stagnate wasn't able to heal. Stagnate realizes what's going on and so he summons a snake which bites William and causes poison to run through his system. William then passes out and that is where the first volume ends. 
on a cliffhanger. The very first volume of this manga, specifically the first half, was a very slow read for me. There was even a moment where I even thought of dropping it because it was so slow. Granted, with a world like the one where this story takes place in, you want to make sure that the readers have a concept of what's in it, right? Like basically the rules of the of the world that they live in. With that being said, obviously, the reader is not very aware. This is only the first volume, right? The reader is not very aware if there is anything even outside of the continent that they're in. Because it's implied that the Demon King destroyed everything in that continent. But it doesn't explain if there's anything outside of it. Which may be one of the reasons that the three undead tried their best to raise William in a way where he can fend for himself in the event where he has to go out there and try to look for other humans. While I will praise the fact that William's past life wasn't made a huge part of the story, it comes up here and there, but it wasn't used like some sort of crutch for William or made to seem that, ah, because I have knowledge of this other, of this other world, I am like a super powerful mage. No. Like I said before, it is implied that William is a genius. William picks up a lot of stuff very quickly particularly like magic tactics or if they're having a conversation he's very sharp when it comes to them but his past life even though it was mentioned it wasn't like oh i remember i remember doing this in my past life maybe i can do this no he mourned his past life because he knew he wasn't a good son while saying that while i'm saying that i also think that the author really didn't even need to mention that william had or remembered his past life because he tells Mary at one point that he does remember and that he feels very guilty. He wants to make sure that, that this family he currently has lives for a very long time and that they get along, blah, blah, blah. And Mary's like, it doesn't matter what who you were in your past life. You're William now. With that being said, like I said before, the author could have opted out taking the fact that William remembered his past life because it really doesn't add anything to the story. Instead, you could have replaced it with something really simple like, hey, William's growing up and he wants to make sure that he's a good son or he has like self-esteem issues because he's growing up. He doesn't know. He just doesn't understand things. And it would have been the same exact conversation, at least to me. It would have been the same exact conversation. Hey, I just want to be a good son. I just want to do right. I just want to do my parents proud or my family proud. And Mary probably would have still given him, hey, you are a good kid. You're a good son. We know what you're capable of. Same conversation. <laughs> Same conversation. I feel like it was just kind of like, oh yeah, he just happens to remember his past life and, and then that was it. It didn't really add to anything. It didn't bring anything else to the table for the except for the fact that he wanted William wanted to now be a good son because he wasn't in his past life. Anything else could have replaced that to be a good motivator. He just wanted to be a good kid. And you didn't even have to mention that he was, that he remembered his past. It doesn't add anything. That's my one like, nitpick with the story is that it was just added in there I guess just to add like a little bit of flavor but even then very very brushed over at times if I had to I guess add one other thing it's not a nitpick it's just again my own opinion is that two-thirds of the first volume were just about William growing up and that didn't always highlight everything some of it was just very like very mundane Granted, there were moments where there were really, really good highlights where you're like, wow, this is this happened. This is what's going on. Why did this happen? And then it would kind of lull again. And that's, again, not necessarily a bad thing. I feel like things could have picked up a 
bit better uh the the ending was pretty good because that's how you capture your reader's attention right ending in a cliffhanger what happened to, to william did he actually die what's going on that's fine i feel like it could have just picked up a bit more because i'm thinking of this as i forgot to mention that the volume that i have is an omnibus volume and that's how you are able to obtain this manga now so imagine if this was like a regular serialization the first volume of the manga would just be william's life which is very slow and I don't think that's a really good way to capture readers' attention because if that's just how you present it, in my opinion, most people would be like, okay, this is just a slice of life happens to be with fantasy in a fantasy setting. I think that's my only gripe. Not my only gripe, pardon. My other thing to mention. But again, it's not like a big deal. Understandably, you have to take things slow in order for people to understand a story like this. Um, I just feel like it could have been a tad bit faster. Now, with all that being said, do I recommend the faraway paladin yes i do i could tell the story has potential again i've only read the first volume and from the way that it's been set up it seems to have a lot of potential to be a really interesting story a really great one it takes itself seriously enough but it's also not so serious where you <laughs> where it's like berserk right where it's like always always serious it seems to have a lot of potential and again i've only read the first volume i haven't been able to pick up the other ones just yet but it looks like it could be something incredibly great that may have flown under the radar it does have an anime which i didn't know until i started writing for this episode i don't know if the anime is true to the to the manga or vice versa or which came first because there's also a light novel but it does have potential and i do recommend it very great read even though it was a little bit slow, I was still engaged somewhat with it. And the cliffhanger really got me because I, I really do want to know what happens next. So yes, if you're interested in like fantasy, um, coming of age, sort of, and just a kid who's trying to figure out this vast world that he's in, definitely pick up the Faraway Paladin. It includes magic, evil gods, and a world filled with incredible wonder i mean you have three undead characters taking care of a kid right <laughs> with all that with all that everyone thank you so much for listening in i hope you guys enjoyed the third episode i will see you all once again for the fourth one thanks so much for listening have a good one stay safe stay healthy god bless and hope to see you back here soon